Okay, good morning. Good to have you guys with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. It's a beautiful day. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We kicked off a brand new teaching series last weekend, Recovering Awe. And we talked about meaning last weekend. This weekend we're talking about happiness. And so I want to start off by asking you a question, a tough question here. Um, How happy of a person are you? How happy of a person are you? And uh, what is the basis of your happiness? Don't bother asking your spouse, okay? (laughs) I did that yesterday and it didn't go so well. Because I was asking, how happy of a person do you see that I am? And it didn't go so well and I'm still trying to recover from what she said to me. (laughs) And so, um, so if I ever stop being the first audience of my preaching, I need to stop preaching, okay? So uh, this is first and foremost for me, and you just get to get in, listen in on what God's telling me, okay? And I can't help but think that it's probably for a lot more than just me here this morning as we talk about happiness. Look at your notes there. Research indicates that there is little correlation between the circumstances of people's lives and how happy they are. That's the research. Yet when people respond to the question, why aren't you happy, they tend to focus on their current difficult circumstances. That's immediately where we go. We're we're really circumstance-oriented, and oftentimes that's the basis of our happiness. Your circumstances actually matter far less to your happiness than you think. Now, there's a couple quotes here on your notes. Take a look at these quotes. The first one is by A.W. Tozer. He says, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. The next one is by G.K. Chesterton. He says, uh, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. (laughs) Praise God. Now, the, the writer that I got that from, he went on to say, and as, as he said, it might be argued that most Western Christians aren't any of these three, but least of all, absurdly happy. So, let's work on that this morning. Let's see what God wants to speak to us this morning. So, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to walk through this text. I'm going to walk through the text completely. And then uh, we'll, we'll look at these notes. You'll see on the notes that there are 20, 20 points there, 20. Did you get the full set of notes this morning? Oh, no, there's only 10. Do you feel better? <laughs> I thought if I started with 20 and then went to 10, then you'd go, well, 10's not so bad. I, I could have given you 40, but we don't have enough time. So we're going to go just 10. So we'll look at the text and we'll unpack these notes. There's 10 big ideas as it relates to this idea of happiness. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you... Bow your heads with me. Father God, we absolutely love you. We are delighted to be here today. And who could possibly have more reason to be happy than those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord? We are lavished by your love and have inherited riches beyond our wildest dreams. Your worth and value are displayed best in lives that are most satisfied in you. We pray through the study of your word, the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to recover awe, 
by seeing that nothing in creation can satisfy the deepest longing of our soul like you, our creator. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. amen. So let me start, before we read this text, let me just say, let me ask you this question or get you to think about this. Imagine for a moment that you had unlimited access to all of your desires. Imagine that just for a moment. And uh, what, what would your life be like if you could have anything and anyone you wanted without restriction? That was the life of Solomon, King Solomon. Now we begin reading chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. This is the Epicurean philosophy that he's pursuing uh, it's hedonism, and you guys know what hedonism is. Pleasure is your God. And so that's what he's saying here. So I'm going to test myself with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. That word vanity is used 38 times. means empty, meaningless. And I said of laughter. So he, he tested it with laughter. He binged on sitcoms from Netflix over two or three weeks. And he goes... That, that's pretty empty too. He says, it, it's mad. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? And then verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. So this, what he's describing here is this is like a, he's gonna party like a rich frat guy on a 40 year spring break is what he's talking about here. <laughs> he's just gonna go crazy. And, uh, and, and as you'll notice as he's kinda working through, this is a checklist so to speak. I'm gonna try to find happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment here. I'm gonna try to find it there. And he's just kinda working through the list. I'm sure you can find yourself somewhere on this list that maybe you've tried one of these things or m multiple things on this list. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards uh, for myself. Fixer-upper. Yeah, watched HGTV and learned how to do it. No, about, no doubt about it. I mean, so this guy, he gets into real estate and he, sp he spends seven years building the temple with 153,000 workers, so no small task here, and then he spends 13 years building his home. So you can see kind of the extent of what he's going after there. And then uh, verse 6, I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. And then number, uh, verse 7, I bought male and female slaves. Imagine that. You could have people do those things that you don't like to do around the house, like clean, laundry, the yard work. I mean, he had him covering everything. That's what it's talking about here. I mean, the Crowleys from Downton Abbey have nothing on him, okay? I mean, so, uh, I mean, so I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver, gold, and treasure of kings and provinces. I mean, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, they're junior high kids compared to what this guy had. 
And then he says, I got singers, both men and women. Well, think about that. I mean, your last big party, you played Coldplay's CD over and over again. He, he bought the band. The band showed up for his parties. And, uh, and then notice this, concubines. What's a concubine? Those are girlfriends. You guys know how many he had? Yell, yell it out to me. He had 700 wives. 700 wives and 300 concubines. And you would think, you would think that that would satisfy. So think about that. That's a thousand, a different woman every night for a thousand nights. It's pretty crazy. And you're going to see, I mean, as he continues to work through this, uh, he, he talks here at the end of that verse, the delight of the children of man. So he had many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. He was on the cover of People magazine, Sexiest Man Alive, okay? This dude had it going. And also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever might... Now, here's the junk drawer, just to make sure that you... You didn't find yourself anywhere on the list here? He's going to make sure that we're, we're somewhere here. So he just says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Hey, I deserve this. Does that sound familiar? I deserve this. I've worked hard for this. By the way, this, if that's part of the American philosophy. It's kind of follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Let your feelings and desires lead the way. That's scary. That's why we're headed in the direction we're headed as a country because we got a whole lot of people that are doing that. And uh, your desires are not your ultimate authority, by the way. You know that, don't you? Your desires are not your ultimate authority. God's word is your ultimate authority. If you let your desires become your ultimate authority, I mean, it's like flying an airplane into a storm and not being instrument trained. You're going to crash that plane. You're going to crash your life. That's why we see that happening currently. And so that's a little bit of uh, far. Sorry, I had to preach a little bit on that one. I start, as I'm thinking about that, I was like, this is crazy. This is insane. We live in a society, woo, yeah, Solomon, go for it, dude. That's awesome. Notice this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was what? Vanity? Empty? Meaningless? Yeah. A striving after the wind. It was exhilarating. Chase the wind. It's exhilarating, but it's just fleeting. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's used 29 times. Now, what is that under the sun? Someone turn, turn to the people next to you and see if they remember from last weekend, if you were here. What does that mean, under the sun? Because that's what, he's, that's what he's trying to do, and he wants us to understand that. Real quick, do that. Under the sun. Okay, anybody know what that is? That's, it's an easy. Under the sun is what? It's, it's, it's apart from God or without God. So he's trying to do all of this without adding God into the equation, which is, it's empty. It's worthless. It's a big zero. Have at it. Try to fill your heart up. But it's, guess what? There's nothing, listen to me, this is what he's saying, nothing in creation will satisfy the deepest longing of your heart like the creator. That's what, that's what he's saying here. Now, he doesn't stop there. Well, I just need to pursue something else. 
And see, that's where some of us are here this morning. Well, I just haven't achieved what I really want to to ultimately achieve. Listen, once you achieve that, there will be something else. And then there will be something else. It's endless because you're trying to fill something in your heart that only God can satisfy. And that's what creates that restlessness. Look at verse uh, 12, the vanity of living wisely. So, So I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. What was he saying? It's better to live more like Oprah than Jerry Springer. Okay? So he's making a contrast here, but this is under the sun, keep in mind. So yeah, it's, it's, it's better to live more respectable and moral as opposed to more like the Jerry Springer show that's disrespectable and immoral and out of control. And, and he says, yeah, that's it's, it's certainly a better way to live. And, but notice what he does here as he works through this. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly. I already read that. As there is more gain in light than darkness. But verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? Okay, I'm, why, why should I live respectable in a moral life? That's, that's crazy. He's talking under the sun without God. And I saw in my heart that this also is vanity. It's empty. For of the wise as of the full, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the full! Exclamation mark. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all this vanity and striving after the wind. You hear what he's doing? This is what very few Americans do. We don't walk... We don't walk our lives out to its furthest implication, as I talked about last weekend, how we need to do that. He's walking it out all the way out. Okay, okay, I live a moral life, and I live a respectable life, but if there is no God, what difference does it make? That's what he's saying. He just, so remember the, the thing we said last weekend. So think about this. If we came from insignificance, random chance, unlimited time, evolutionary process, boom, you're an accident. Bunch of chemistry came together somehow miraculously, and, and there's you. It's kind of crazy, but that's what people believe, in, and that's, pretty, that's predominant on many of our university campuses. We're an accident. So if I came from insignificance, and I'm going to insignificance, eventually this whole thing's going to just burn up, then what he's saying is and then everything, everything in between these two is just a, it's an illusion. It doesn't really matter when it's all said and done. So sometimes we don't walk things out to the furthest implication. You build your life on your kids or your parents or your family or anything that's temporal. It's just a matter of time. You know this. It's a matter of time. It's going to be gone. You're going to lose it. And, And so that's what he's trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to, he's pushing us. He's more of a philosopher. He's very, very Socratic. He's pushing us out to the limits of our life. Okay, okay, you want to get a job. That's great. So why do you want to get a job? And then, and then okay, you're making a good living. So why do you want to make a good living? Okay, you want to buy those things. So, so what are you going to do after you buy those things? And then, and then, so he's just kind of working us completely all the way out. What's the purpose? What, what happens once you have those things? 
Is it going to be enough? No, it won't because God needs to be at the center of our life. That's where he's headed. And so he goes from the vanity of living wisely to the vanity of, of just work. Well, then I'll just become a workaholic. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Man, I work my tail off and I'm going to pass this on to my, my kids or whoever else gets it. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. You know all that stuff that you, uh, you know those collections and all those things that you've collected through the years and you've got them, some of them up in the attic and some of them in your room and, and you just adore those things? Your kids are going to take that and either sell it in a yard sale for hardly nothing <laughs> or they're going to give it to Goodwill. <laughs> you know that stuff that, yeah, I mean, you sw- blood, sweat, and tears over. This is precious. Not to them. That's what he's thinking. He's going, oh my goodness. I work my tail off and I'm going to pass it on to these lug nuts. <laughs> they don't appreciate it like me. They didn't have it as hard as me. That's what he's saying. This is what he's thinking. Know where, where I am with that? You're, kinda, you're thinking that too. And who knows whether he will be wiser or fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. They didn't, they're not going to value it like me. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man... What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun... For all his days are full of sorrow. Man, I had some sleepless nights. I wondered sometimes if I was going to get laid off or not. I had to work hard. I had deadlines and demands from my job. That's what he's saying. For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is of vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Oh my goodness. This chapter's killing me. I mean, this guy needs medication. He needs therapy. That's what you guys are thinking. He just needs a hug. (laughs) We just need to give him a big hug. Solomon, come here. Let us hug you. Everything will be okay, Solomon. No, it won't get away from me. It's meaningless. Hey, guess what? It does get better right here. He, He comes back around, so here it is. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat, drink, and find enjoyment in his toil. He's just saying, you know what? I need to learn to enjoy life. Because notice this, this also, I saw, is from the hand of God. Oh, now he begins to bring God into the equation. It changes everything. Wait a minute, this is all from God. He wants me to enjoy these things. I need to enjoy it for his glory. And and so, and he goes on and he says, for apart from him who can eat, or who can have enjoyment? So you hear where he's going? He's going, oh, are you kidding? He's the source of all of this. For to the one who pleases him. Now, okay, okay, here's a big question. How do you please God? How do you please God? It's real simple. It's simple. How, how do you please God? It's found, in, it's found in faith. Faith. You, just, you put your faith in him. That's how you please God. You don't have to go through a whole list of things. You, you, you put your faith in him. You believe in uh, uh, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For if you want him in your life, if you want to come to him, you just believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That you have, you have a relationship with him. And you do it by faith because of the finished work of Christ. So that's fascinating. That's good. That's, yes. Okay, okay. Okay, now we're kind of getting, getting back to what we need to get back to here. So for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge. So he's saying, hey, I'm beginning to see things much different now. Wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity, a striving after the wind. I mean, he's just saying, hey, true happiness comes from God is really what he's saying here. That enjoyment, enlightenment is a gift from God. This is God's word to us. Okay. Now, that took a long time, and I don't think we're going to be able to go through the 10 points here this morning. So go ahead and stand with me for closing prayer, and we'll... No, you know me better than that. We're going to nail these. Here's where we go, right here. Number one, the desire to be happy is a healthy desire. And nothing wrong with that desire at all that was placed in your heart by God. The fall, you guys know what I mean when I say the fall? We live in a fallen world. The fall started... Genesis chapter 3, we see that man's rebellion against God. The fall didn't cause our longing for happiness. The fall derailed it and misdirected it. And so because of this desire to be happy within all of us, that's why our hearts refuse to settle for sin and suffering. We long for something better in this fallen world. That's why we're so troubled. That's why many of us are pretty excited about the, you know, and not in a good way, we're, we're in turmoil about the current political condition of our, of our country. It's just like, oh my goodness, something's got to get better here. We're just hoping for a better world, a better environment. We all have a memory trace of Eden in our soul. We all long for happiness in a utopian society. So that's normal. Listen to what Blaise Pascal said. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step, but to this object, this is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. It's a pretty heavy statement, isn't it? So all of our actions come out of the fact that we want to be happy. We want to be happy. We all have a different, you know, target, what we think will make us happy. That's the point. That's a normal desire. Number two, God has placed eternity in our hearts and nothing less than God can make us fully happy. Ecclesiastes 3.11, we'll look at that next week. We'll look at chapter uh, 3, but verse 11 is a phenomenal chapter. It says eternity has been placed in our hearts. And, and you can see in this text, verse 1, verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 21, verse 23. What does he say? It's all empty. I chased it all. I went after it all. And I, and I know that some of you are still, you know, your heart sell because you really still think that if I just had this, if I were to say, so what, what will make you happy? Well, if I, could just, if I could just graduate, if I could just get this, you know, degree, if I could just land that job, if I could just get married, if we could just have kids, you know, it, it, there's something, there's something. on Now he's saying, that's not where your happiness is found. It's not found in those circumstances. That's, that's the point that he's trying to get at. He says it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. Apart from God, meaningless, empty. The human heart in which God has placed eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it. Herman Bavick. 
dead theologian. Now, let me read to you something. This is from Paul D. Meyer, a psychiatrist. Listen to what he says. He says, I have had millionaire businessmen come to my office and tell me they have big houses, yachts, condominiums, nice children, a beautiful mistress, an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything this world has to offer except one thing, inner peace and joy. They come to my office as a last resort, begging me to help them conquer the urge to kill themselves. I mean, that's, that's Solomon. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. He's trying to help us to, help us to see that. Next point on your notes, human history is a long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. That's a C.S. Lewis quote. Remember the story of Jesus? He's walking with his disciples and there's a big swarm of people and this a young man comes up to him and says, Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. You guys remember that story? So he's like, come on, Jesus, help us out. You say that you're going to help people, help us out. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. You know, covetousness is desiring after the things that you don't have, thinking that somehow those things are going to satisfy you. He says, because real life and living does not consist in the things that we possess. It's not in what you have. He's saying, it's not in what you have, it's who you are. And that's, that's a big point. Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, whoever loves money will not be satisfied with money. So this ju- just goes to prove, you that, uh, prove to you that, uh, that you can have a full fridge, a full house, a full closet, a full bank account, full social life, full mind, full stomach, full liquor cabinet, full resume, full bedroom, yet an empty soul. An empty soul. You guys, some of you probably still remember this. It was over at uh, Sandra Day O'Connor High School, but we showed the video. It was an interview by 60 Minutes of Tom Brady. You guys remember that? Anybody remember that? Okay. I can see what kind of an impact our videos have on There's like three of us remember that. So that's why I brought this. uh, I'm just going to read a little bit. This is just a tad of the transcript. When 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft interviewed superstar quarterback Tom Brady of the New England Patriots, and obviously unhappy Brady said, and when you watch it, you can go online, by the way, on YouTube and, and watch that. When you look at Tom Brady, who should be pretty happy considering what he's, he's done, what he's experienced, and so obviously unhappy Brady said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what is. I reached my goal and my dream and my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. What's the answer? Croft asked. Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, now that he's got four, he's got four Super Bowl rings, he got the fourth one a year ago this last February, he is so happy. <laughs> you guys laugh, really? He's never been happier. You guys know I'm pulling your chain. I don't care if he has 10 Super Bowl rings. He's trying to f- satisfy a hole in his soul that only Jesus can satisfy. 
That's a wild goose chase without the goose is what it is. It's just, it's just crazy. And it's just, uh, but that's us. Hey, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, we're reading this. I'm going, that's me. That's me. I mean, that's me. I'm chasing. I mean, you guys have done that. I mean, mine started when I was like, I was like 10 years old. When I was chasing, uh, I, I had to have that Stingray bike. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say Stingray? Banana seed? Oh, baby. I got it. It was fun. For a couple months, I had friends that had 10 speeds. Had to have the 10 speed. Got the 10 speed. I was happy for a couple months and then it had to be like a 12 speed. Because you, you know there's 12 speeds and then there was like 16 and there was 21 and then, oh my goodness. And it was just, it was endless. And then finally it was the car. I got the car. Got big wheels on it. Got a new paint job from Earl Shrive. <laughs> it was cool. But I had friends that had faster cars. And I thought, ah, you know what? When I graduate from high school, I'm going to get me a Ranger XLT truck. That's what I'm going to do. Brand new from Don Sanderson Ford. I had it all picked out. I got that truck. Oh, my goodness. It was good. It was a chick magnet. You know, it's just like, <laughs> check this out. Okay, maybe not. But it was the guy driving it that kind of messed it up. Yeah. But man, I'm thinking, this is so cool. And it, I had only had it for six months. I took it down to Chuck Speed Center to put a high-rise manifold on it. And uh, 780 Holly double pumper carburetor, headers, baby, because I was going to soup it up. And my dad just about killed me because he says, is that thing still under warranty, dude? You just wrecked the warranty. Well, I don't care. It needs to be faster than what it is. It was a brand new truck. <laughs> was I satisfied? No. No, because I had a friend that had a boat. And that was a fast boat. So guess what I bought? Woo-hoo! And it was a boat, baby. Roosevelt Lake, Saguaro Lake, Canyon Lake. We didn't go to Pleasant because it was just a puddle over there. That was years ago. And so... And it was good. Do you think that satisfied me? No. no. Because it only pulled up two skiers. My friend's boat could pull up four skiers. I need a bigger boat. <laughs> oh, gee. And then I got married and had kids. <laughs> I need a different wife and different kids. No, no, I didn't do that. But I mean, I mean, I finally realized, I, you know what, dude? You'll never, ever, 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 ever be satisfied. That's, that's it. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. We are the richest and the most affluent people in the history of the world and strangely also the most depressed and bored Here's a, another quote from C.S. Lewis that has haunted me, and this is what I aspire to. He says, he who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. Number four, whenever you ask creation to do what only the creator can do, you are on your way to addiction. 
That's why we live in a very addicted society. Just more, more, more. It's never enough. Romans 1, 21 through 32, he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things more than the creator. That's our tendency. We believe the lie. We believe somehow we're going to be happier by chasing after something in creation as opposed to the creator. And, and, and it's about worship, by the way. Worship, we, we fill our mind with the beauty and the value of something. If I could just get married, I know that I would be happy. If I could just find Mr. Right or Miss Right or whatever, and, or if we could just have kids, it's just, we, and so that's a form of worship. We're filling our mind with the beauty and the value. We're daydreaming about that. That's worship. And it takes hold of our life. And so that's what, they, what we do. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. And then three times in that text, he says, and God gave them up. There's this law of decreasing returns. It's like taking your f- first hit on marijuana and it's, whoo, sends you to the moon. And then after a while, what does it require? It requires a little bit more. That's why you hear of a lot of heroin addicts overdosing because they're chasing the dragon. They're trying to get that first high. It doesn't happen. You, you're, you're chasing after that thing because there's that law of diminishing return. Trying to fill a void, fill a void inside of us that only God can fill. And that's what he says. He turned them over to their desires. And you know you're addicted when you are trying to cure the problem with more of the very thing that caused the problem. Listen to me. Anything you love, everybody look up here. You got to get this. Anything that you love more than Jesus, if it's your family or your kids or your job or any number of things, you're going to crush it. You're going to crush it under, under the weight of unrealistic expectations. And when you speak, pursue it, it will control you. Those things that you pursue apart from God, when you seek them, they control you. When you get them, they will disappoint you. When you lose them, they will devastate you because you've built all of your heart on those things. You've put all of your marbles in that one bag, all of your eggs in that basket. It's just a matter of time. That's what he's saying. It's just a matter of time. It's all coming down. That's where we're headed. And um, so what we need to do as we, as we continue to work, work on our hearts, that's why we get together. We're working on our hearts week in and week out. Until you can live without it, you can't safely live with it. So when I find myself like, I, I gotta have this. I'm thinking about it. It's dominating my thoughts. It's stirring my deepest emotions. It's moving to action. That's why I do it. So I'm daydreaming about these things. The way I get off of those things is I begin to say, hey, wait, 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 that, that, that might be important and that might be good, but God, you're even better. And so what do we do? We, we, we worship our way in, into trouble. You've got to worship your way out of trouble. Does that make sense? You worship your way out of trouble. Christ must become more beautiful to you than your, your counterfeit God or your addiction. And every one of us have, has these addictions, these things that we tend to pursue. And we think that if I have this, then my life is going to be fulfilled and I'm going to be happy and I've, I've arrived and my life has meaning. And he's saying it, do, it doesn't work that way. That's broken. Christ must become more beautiful to you than your addiction. That's why I love Job, Job 1, 20 through 22. I mean, he lost everything. What is he doing when he, most people think he's having a nervous breakdown, you know, when he, when he falls on the ground. But he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was standing right back here as we were singing that last song. I almost wanted to weep. I was just overwhelmed. 
with the reality of the fact that when you find your deepest treasure, he's your deepest treasure, therefore your deepest pleasure, oh my goodness. I mean, those things, it doesn't, if you, if you lose everything, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh my goodness. God, you're my deepest satisfaction. I enjoyed those things, but now that they're gone, God, I still have you. I'll never lose you. My happiness is based on you. And I think that's, that's important for us to keep in mind. Number five, we are commanded to be happy and holy in God. This is really, a, a, really an important point. We are commanded to be happy. Really? The Bible commands us to be happy? Yeah, in God. Be happy in God and be holy in God. In fact, this was revolutionary for me a number of years, a number of years ago, and it, was, it brought such sanity to me and such helpfulness. And uh, happiness and holiness are one and the same pursuit. Listen to me. Your deepest satisfaction and God's glory are one and the same thing. The more you live for his glory, the more you're going to find satisfaction. So the more you, you pursue holiness, the more you're going to find a happiness unlike you've ever experienced before. That's the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. So that's why he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, be holy because God is holy. So putting God on the side of holiness and then Satan on the side of happiness isn't biblical. That's insane. I love what Randy Alcorn said in his book. How many have ever read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven? You guys know what I'm talking about when I say heaven? Phenomenal book. It's a real thick book. Well, he just came out with a book here about a year or so ago on happiness. And I've been working through the book. It's a phenomenal book. It's about that thick too. And it's absolutely phenomenal book. But listen to what he says. He says, God commands holiness knowing that when we follow his plan, we'll be happy. He also commands happiness, which makes obeying him not only duty, but also pleasure. Now listen to me. When I get up here, get all red in the face, neck veins pop out, I say, I urge people, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Turn your life over to him. I'm, when I urge them, I'm inviting them to commit their life to that which will give them indescribable and indestructible joy. He's the source of that. When you're, when you're inviting your friends to Jesus, that's what you're inviting them to. To know joy unlike they've ever experienced before. And so, I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. Holiness is being so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. Listen. I know it's a hard sell for some of you. I, I, this is, I spend my life doing this. God is not in the way of your happiness. Amen. He's not in, your, in the way. Get him out of the way so I can be happy. That's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of people think. He is the way to your happiness. It's in him. He's the one that satisfies the deepest longing of our soul. And it's just like, man, I, I plead with people. I plead with people that are chasing after all kinds of stuff. Man, that's not, you're not going to find it there. You're not going to find it there. Why are you going that direction? Come back to him. He's the one that's going to satisfy you. And so it's important for us to keep that in mind. Let me, let me give you another little kind of an idea here to help you to understand this. And this will kind of help you to see where you might be. And um, something is beautiful if it's, uh, if it's pleasurable in and of itself. If you studied art... 
because you had to get an A in the class and then as soon as the class was over you never studied art again then art to you was just instrumental it wasn't actually beautiful because if it was beautiful even after the class is over you'll continue to even pay money to see good art does that make sense to a religious person God is instrumental but to a Christian God is beautiful and uh, religion says, obey God or he'll get you. And so your obedience is instrumental. Obey God and he'll bless you. The gospel says, look at what he's done for you. He died on the cross for you. He's reconciled you to the Father once and for all. And when you begin to see that, your obedience is pleasurable because he's so unbelievably beautiful. You hear what I'm saying? So here's, here's the gospel. The gospel is because, because of our sin, we have become ugly and have made this world ugly, but Jesus came to this world and lost his beauty, his glory, so that we could become beautiful in God's sight. Colossians 1, 20 and 22. Holy and blameless before God. Number six on your notes. God secured our eternal happiness through the cross and an empty tomb. I gotta share this story real quick. My uh, my cousin and uh, her husband sits right back here and they brought their grandson Cody this last week. They shared this story with me. I just loved it. Uh, this last weekend and he went to the little toddler's class. I think he's about four or five. He's five years old, little Cody. And uh, he, when he came out of the class last weekend, Resurrection Sunday, he, I guess he scolded grandma. His grandma, my cousin, said, Grandma, you told me that Jesus died for me but you never told me that he came out of the grave. I love that. That kid's getting it. And we're teaching it. It's, it's crazy. He goes, I didn't know he came out of the grave. You never told me that. Little five-year-old. I needed to hear that. I did too. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's important. God secured our eternal happiness through the cross and an empty tomb. By grace through faith in Christ, he is with us and in us. And for us, right this very moment. The happiness the Bible talks about is not about pasting on a false smile in the midst of heartache. Listen to me. It is a buoyancy based on the... And by the way, you, you know what I mean when I say buoyancy? It's like life can push you down. You guys agree with that? But it can't keep you down because you have a buoyancy. It's based on the pleasures it's the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges that we have in the person and work of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. It's pretty, pretty spectacular, pretty amazing stuff. And the Bible talks, uh, you know, talks about it, you know, that this over and over again. I mean, when we read the scriptures and we, we fill our hearts up on all of who Christ is and what he's done for us, life isn't easy. But as believers, we have the benefit of walking the hard road side by side with a loving father a son, his son who's our friend and the Holy Spirit who, who comforts us. I was thinking about this this last week. I, I, I needed to hear it as I was kind of reciting this and going over my, my mind. God's presence in your life by grace through faith in Christ means, means that you are never, listen to me, no matter what you're going through this morning, everybody look up here, whatever you're going through, whatever it is, if you've put your faith in Jesus, 
I know some of you are going through real hard times. I know some of you are really getting busted up by life. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have his presence. And because you have his presence, you are never, ever helpless or hopeless or all alone. You have his presence. You have his presence. I needed to be reminded of that this last week. It was just like, oh my goodness, this is getting the best of me. Oh God, I just need a few moments in your presence. I just need to know. I just need to know your love. I need to know the tenderness. I just need for you to just to kind of just touch me. Just a little bit, God. I just need to know you're for me and you're not against me. Right now I'm feeling like life couldn't get worse. As you kind of work through those things, he's there. He's close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness, that's a promise. We can take that to the bank. And uh, number seven, don't seek the giver instead of the gifts. Seek the giver through the gifts. Sometimes people say, well, don't get all hung up over the gifts. Just seek the giver instead of the gifts. Well, actually, the Bible teaches us to seek the giver through the gifts. Creation serves its highest purpose when it points our hearts to the creator. Let me read to you a couple verses here. 1 Peter 4.4, 4, for everything created by God is, is bad. No, it's actually good. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word, the word of God in prayer. 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present world, present age, that would, in that present age, but we're rich in this present age. Would you guys agree with that? We live in America. We're all rich. Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Yeah. So that's basically what he's saying in verses 24 through 26 of our text. So when we worship and serve the created rather than the creator our happiness is eclipsed. I, and there's no doubt about it. I believe that unbelievers can, can experience a limited amount of happiness. But when we know and love the Creator, our heartfelt delight is magnified when we enjoy His gifts. Uh, I, 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 found a, I found this chocolate cake that, that actually is, is better than... How many have ever had the chocolate cake over here at Claim Jumper? Mother load, chocolate. Okay, anybody over here? Yeah. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Yeah. Chase that with some coffee. That'll take you to the moon, okay? <laughs> Praise God. Well, guess what? We went to P.F. Chang, went to P.F. Chang, and their chocolate cake was even better. And the whole dinner experience was even better because Jesus showed up and paid for it. Well, okay, he actually paid for it through somebody that was in the restaurant at the time and covered our bill. And that even made it taste even better. <laughs> what? Our bill is, woo. That's even better. I, I believe that God wants us to, to enjoy those things that he gives to us. Loving nature and beauty should indeed be enhanced by loving the God who made them and reveals himself through them. Another quick quote. This is actually from, uh, this is from another book I read not too long ago. Sex and Money, Pleasures That Leave You Empty and Grace That Satisfies, David Paul Tripp. Listen to what he says. Pleasures exist to stimulate worship. Not of the thing, but of the one who created the thing. 
The glory of every form of pleasure is meant to point me to the glory of God. The pleasure of sex is meant to remind me of the glory of my intimate union with Christ that only grace could produce. The pleasure of food is meant to motivate me to seek the heart-satisfying sustenance of the bread and wine that is Christ. The pleasure of all things beautiful is designed to cause me to gaze upon the Lord who is perfect in beauty in every way. The pleasure of sound is meant to cause me, I mean, he just goes on, cause me to listen to the sounds of the one whose every utterance is a thing of beauty. And he just goes on through this whole list of things in this. And so when you see a beautiful sunset, that's meant to draw your heart to the creator of that sunset who is even more beautiful and more glorious. And so it's, it's important that we do that. Number eight, continually practicing God's presence is the key to happiness. Practicing God's presence is a habitual conscious communion with God. Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Oh my goodness, this is the best thing about the Christian life. We have his presence. We have his presence. Um, my wife and daughter were sitting in the service last night, and I was reminded of the fact when they went to Uganda a number of years ago, and I, was, I also talked to one of, our, uh, one of the gals that attends here that went to Uganda a number of years ago, and it's always interesting when people come back from third world countries, they go, I can't believe how happy these Christians are over there, and they have very little. Exactly. It's not based on what you have, because they have Jesus in their life. They know the presence of God. And uh, this gal this morning, Carolyn Newsom, was, was sharing with me a little bit of, of that. She, she was just overwhelmed by the joy that these people have. And it's really because they've cultivated such a deep sense of the presence of God in their lives. One of my favorite chapters for this idea is Psalm 16.2. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The sorrows of those, this is verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So not only does he talk about the stability that we have, but then he goes on in verse 11 and he says this. He says, you have showed me the path of life and in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. We were just singing it this morning. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So let me ask you this. When was the last time when was the last time you had that sense? You had that sense deep in your heart. You just go, oh my goodness. Was it while you were reading the Bible? Was it while you were listening to praise music? And all of a sudden, boom, you had that overwhelming sense of his presence. And you begin to taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm, Psalm 34, 8. You begin to taste of his goodness. Or maybe it was when you were eating that chocolate cake from P.F. Chang. And we were like glorifying God. Woohoo! And then our bill was paid, and we go, woohoo! We were like, oh, cool, God, thanks. I mean, it was like a worship experience. Isn't that crazy? John Flavel, 1627 to 1691, another dead theologian, he says, Christ is the very essence of all delights and pleasures, the very soul and substance of them. As all the rivers are gathered into the ocean, so Christ is that ocean in which all true delight and pleasures meet. Number nine, almost finished. The happy soul consistently looks upward in thanksgiving to God and outward in blessing to others. So you can see if someone's heart is satisfied, if someone's heart is satisfied, they found their prize, their treasure in Christ, they're going to be other-centered. 
They're going to think about others. You're going to want others to have what you have. So you're going to be thinking about them. How can I help to increase their joy in what I have? I, I want to point them to Christ. Not only are you in thanksgiving to God, but you're going to want to help others. Solomon basically worshipped himself. His selfishness saturates this text through phrases like, verse 1, enjoy yourself, verse 2, how to cheer my body, verse 4, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks, I mean, and the list goes on. The spirit-filled life is a life of thanksgiving upward and giving outward. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. I love what Spurgeon said as it relates to happiness. He said, uh, there is nothing that more tends to strengthen the faith of the young believer than to hear the veteran Christian covered with scars from the battle testifying that the service of his master is a happy service and that... If he, could have re- if he could have served any other master, he would not have done so, for his service is pleasant and his reward everlasting joy. Now, last point, I need to set this up. People who reject God can maintain the illusion that life is good without him because in God's kindness, in his common grace, he doesn't withdraw all of his good gifts. His gifts are meant to point ultimately to him, and, and many people miss that big pointer to him. And God, I could, just to name a few of the gifts that he gives to, to even unbelievers, the, you know, loving relationships, prosperous jobs, fulfilling uh, leisure activities. But be warned, but be warned We live on borrowed time. This temporary situation will eventually come to an abrupt end. That takes us to point number 10. At the end of your life, you can have one of two combinations, both God and happiness, that's A, or B, neither God nor happiness. What you won't be able to have is God without happiness or happiness without God. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. He's given you a taste now, but eventually that's all going to run out. And that the taste of the goodness of God is found in, in creation to point you ultimately to the creator. Spurgeon once again says, the gospel is like wine which makes us glad. Let a man truly know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will be a happy man. And the deeper he drinks into the spirit of Christ, the more happy he will become. Next week, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to talk about hope. Now listen to me. You can't live a single second without hope. And we're going to talk about it next week. Baptism class, right after we pray, right over here to your right, my left. There'll be a quick class. If you want to get baptized here in a few weeks, we'll give a, talk to you for about 10 to 15 minutes. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for transforming our lives. If you are sovereign, God loves us, bridge the gap between yourself and us, lives in us, and gives us power to love, worship, and honor you, and to share your love with others, then we have all that we need to be the happiest people in this world. May our worship be as glorious as you, the one we worship. And may your beauty in our lives attract even those who are hardened towards you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said. God bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week.